0: You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent, and I'm one of the staff here, and I love Sundays, and thank you guys for joining us here and online. I love to come together and um, worship and sing, and I love to hear the prayers and, and the updates, and I love the children's messages, and I love listening to God's Word. Um, Today we're going to look at just one more verse, and we're going to think about humility. And this verse is from Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So I want to start by taking a little survey, and this will be crowd participation as the children's sermon was. I'd like you to raise your hand if you have a problem with pride. Anybody here who has a problem with pride, raise your hands. Okay. A few of you raise your hands. I'm sure some of you at home raise your hands. This sermon is for all those who did not raise their hands. So <laughs> maybe you heard about the furniture factory that was having a problem with uh, theft. They had such a rash of things disappearing that they decided to hire a security guard and screen everybody as they left the factory. And the very first day they set up the screening, a man tried to leave the factory with a wheelbarrow full of dust, sawdust. And so the security guard stopped him and he said to the guy, okay, I know you're trying to steal something and so you're going to have to go through your wheelbarrow and see what's in there. So he dumped out the sawdust, they went through it and there was nothing in there. Next day, guy comes to the leave again, same thing. He's got another wheelbarrow full of sawdust. They go through the, dump the sawdust out, go through it, nothing. This happens day after day after day. The guy brings every day a wheelbarrow full of sawdust. Every day they dump it out. Every day they don't find anything. This is really frustrating the guard. And so finally he says to the guy, he says, okay, I know you're stealing something, and you know you're stealing something. Come clean. Tell us what it is. I'm not going to get you arrested. I won't get you in trouble. Just tell me what you're stealing. And the guy goes, well, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. Yeah. (laughs) Clever, right? Stealing something in plain sight. We're thinking about that this morning because I think that there's a very clever strategy for temptation that many of us have to face And it's when uh, the enemy of our souls, the devil, tries to get us to accept something that's sinful as being okay. And he does it by making it clear and obvious. In plain sight, we can all see it, and yet we go, that's okay. If the devil can get us to look at sin and dismiss it, then the devil wins. And this is true, I think, of any sin, lust or greed or gluttony or prejudice or sloth or anger, envy. If we can look at the sin and declare nothing there, nothing to see, then the sin has become a wheelbarrow. I think this is particularly true of the sin of pride. Some people suggest that pride is the root of all sin. Here's what Proverbs sixteen eighteen says about it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I really love the message paraphrase of this. It says this, First pride, then crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Or after hearing the children's sermon today, I'm thinking a paraphrase might be, The bigger the ego, the bigger the balloon, the louder the pop. Pride, though, seems to have gained a, a more favorable reputation in our current culture. It seems like many people accept vanity or pride or boasting. And I'm using as my main source of reference for this conclusion, Twitter. So I don't know if you follow Twitter or not, but it seems like Twitter is often filled with tweets that announce the writer's goodness. It announces that, uh, describes the self, uh, the, the person who's doing the tweets. He salutes their rightness and signals their virtue and shames anybody who disagrees with them. There was a day when this much boasting would have been like embarrassing to people, but now self-promotion and self-flattery are a wheelbarrow in plain sight, and I have some examples to try to show you this. Maybe you've come across these tweets. These are actual tweets. Someone tweeted, "I'm the reason I smile every day." Nice? How about this? I need a room full of mirrors so I can be surrounded by winners. Sound prideful? How about this one? Really, it was my personal favorite. Have you ever thought you were in love with someone and then realized you were just staring in a mirror for 20 minutes? <laughs> okay, and then this one. You may be talented, but you're not Kanye West. And actually, those first three tweets are all from Kanye also, so just so you know. And then this one came out, Kim doesn't understand what a blessing I am to her. Okay, a little bit of pride maybe, but you right now are saying this, at least I'm not Kanye, right? You're thinking I'm better than him, I would never tweet that stuff? Is that what you're thinking? Maybe? This is what pride says. Pride says, I'm better than you. That's what pride says. And it can be about anything. It can be about my looks, my wealth, my politics, my background, my achievements, my opinions, my work ethic, my race, my religion, my education, my manners. It can even be about my humility. I'm more humble than you are. I'm better than you. That's what pride says. Pride is all about me. Here's a Bette Midler tweet. She tweets, But enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> the enemy of our souls, would, I think, loves this tactic of pride. And he particularly loves to make us proud in ways that we feel justified. Self-justified pride. This is a problem. I think it's clever. I think it's sin in plain sight. And we get used to it and don't recognize what's really going on. C.S. Lewis wrote a a great book called The Screwtape Letters, which is a book about the devil and his tactics and how he tries to trick Christians and tempt them. And uh, it's written from the devil's perspective. So here's a little example of some demonic coaching that was given about the effective use of pride So the demon is speaking and he says, your patient, the patient is the Christian, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to that fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection By Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately pride, pride at his own humility will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of that. And so on, and repeat this as many times as possible. Clever. So if there's a danger, even in calling our attention to humility, The danger is that we might become proud. But in the spirit of doing a very thorough examination of Micah 6, 8, I thought we should look at this and I want to explore it by looking at three truths, not to make us proud, but three truths about humility that help defeat the lie that says, I'm better than you. Okay? First truth. Humility presupposes dignity. Humility recognizes the dignity of everybody. Everyone is equally dignified. Humility is honest and says there's no degrees to humility. It's because you're a person, you have dignity. I think sometimes they say a woman can't be kind of pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. I think the same thing is true about dignity. You either have dignity or you don't have dignity. And we who follow Jesus and take the Bible seriously believe that all people have dignity. And one of the key places we get this message is from Genesis 1.27, which describes the absolute absolute dignity of all people. It says this, God created people in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female He created them. We know that every person we meet was made in the image of God. Every single one. And therefore, every person we meet has dignity. No one is better. Now, this inherent dignity might be disguised sometimes or might be hidden or distorted by sin, by the brokenness in this world, but it's there. Nothing ever changes this underlying truth. Everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone has dignity. I want to show an example from Luke 18 where someone lost sight of this truth and it kind of impacted the way that they saw somebody. They lost sight of the dignity of their brother because they, thought, they, they forgot that everyone was made in the image and so they lapse into this lie of I'm better than you. Luke 18, verse 9. To someone who had confidence in his own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We have a Pharisee and a tax collector. Who's better They're equal. They have equal dignity in the fact that they're both made in the image of God. Humility presupposes dignity, the dignity of all people. Secondly, humility chooses restraint. Now, here's what happens when pride says, I'm better than you. Then what pride does is it starts to set up like a pecking order. It starts to make judgments about I'm better than you, and there may be other levels of people who fall in between that. So we have everybody kind of ranked. And since I'm better than everyone else, I'm ranked at the top. And since I'm ranked at the top, that means I have more privilege than everybody else. That means I get my way. I get to enforce my superiority on everyone else. I get what I deserve, right? And so what happens then is pride leads to an unrestrained pursuit of my agenda. I get to go after what I want because I'm the top of the pecking order. I'm better than everyone else. That's what pride says. Humility chooses restraint, it reigns in this effort. Now, here's a, an episode from the story of David and King Saul, which shows how humility restrains itself. And to get the backstory, King Saul has been ruling poorly. He's been made some really bad judgments. He's been doing some wicked things. And um, he's being replaced by David. He's going to be replaced. And that made him angry. And so now he's going after David, trying to kill him. And this is a story that happens in the middle of this. This is from 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel, and he set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So he is in hot pursuit of David, and these three men are going to go find him and kill him. When King Saul came to the sheep pens along the way, a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself, and David and his men were far back in the cave. Now this is an actual remarkable description of uh, Saul being humiliated. So he's got these 3,000 men, they're on a bead to go kill David. In the middle of this, he has to go to the bathroom. So they find a cave, he goes into this cave, and he's squatting in the back of this cave, and he's in front of David and all of his men. They're watching this all happen. So this is a picture of his level of humiliation, okay? And then this is what happens. The men who were in the cave said to David, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with him as you wish. These men are saying to David, you, Go get him! He's right there! He's vulnerable. So David crept up, unnoticed, while he's still going to the bathroom, and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. I think this is a remarkable picture. And at this point in the story, if you're like me, I'm like, good for David. I'm like, stick it to the man. He's, he's out to get you. He's a bad guy. God's going to replace him anyway, so take care of him, right? But afterward, David was conscious stricken because he cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked the men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And so Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and he called out to him, My Lord, the king. And when Saul turned around and saw him, David bowed down and prostrated himself face to the ground. He is humbled. David's humbling himself. He's showing incredible restraint. He could have taken Saul out. And maybe we're thinking he should have because Saul is wicked. Saul has turned his back on God. Saul has lost his way. David is going to be the next king anyway. We think David should have done something to Saul. But in humility, David shows restraint. He recognizes the truth of the moment. He's just a man. And Dave, and Saul is still the king, and he feels remorse for having crossed this line for this prideful lapse. A little later in 2 Samuel 7, we get a glimpse for maybe some of the perspective that led to this humility. God has just given David a, an amazing promise, and David is so overwhelmed by this, he, he breaks into prayer. And this is what David prays in 2 Samuel 7. David says, "'Who am I, O sovereign Lord?' And what is my family that you would do this for me? He's recognizing this stuff is coming as a gift from God's hands. He's just a man. And if this were not enough in your sight, O Lord, you have spoken about the future of my home and of your servant and made this decree. It is too good for me. I am a mere human, O sovereign Lord. What more can I say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made it known to your servant. How great are you, O Lord? There was no one like you. There was no God but you. See, pride says, I am better than you. Pride says, look at me. Pride says, it's all about me. Humility says, oh, thank God for watching over me. Thank you, Lord, for providing for me. Thank you for these good gifts that you have given to me. Humility chooses restraint because it knows that we are like the grass of the field. We're like dust, and from dust we're going to return. We're like here today, gone tomorrow. We are nothing, and everything we have has come as a gift from God. This is what humility recognizes. And so humility shows restraint, and this leads right into the third truth. I think humility then grows trust. Humility says, I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust that God will provide for me. God will take... When the whole world falls apart, when we're in the middle of pandemic, when there's protests and unrest everywhere I look, I'm going to trust God to take care of me. Here's how Jeremiah 9 talks about it. Let not the wise boast about their wisdom, or the strong boast about their strength, or the rich boast about their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understood and know me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Humility is counterintuitive. It's not about me. It's about God. It's countercultural. We don't see this in the world very often. Philippians 2 describes it this way Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. See how this turns it on the head? Pride says, I'm better than you. Humility says, You're better than me. In humility, value others above yourself and not look to your own interest, but look to the interest of others. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's upside down. According to our world's expectations, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Upside down. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth upside down. James 4.10, upside down. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself. Put yourself down. And he will lift you up. The one who really flips this is Jesus. Here's how Philippians 2 describes that. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking up the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's only one person who ever lived who had the right to say, I'm better than you. And he didn't say that. Instead, what he said is, I'll die for you. That's humility. And because he humbled himself and went to the cross and died for us, we can be humble. And we can learn to walk in humility. Now, after pondering this all week, I was still at a little bit of an impasse when trying to think of how I should apply it. And so I couldn't begin to think about how you should apply it. But I'm going to make this offer to you that if you return next week, we'll have one more sermon on this passage. And next week, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of application about how we should do justice, how we should love mercy, and how we should walk humbly. So if you're willing to join us again next week, we'll do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I come to you uh, this morning and I want to give you thanks for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, who I sense is right now hovering around this room and poking at us and prodding us to help mold us and shape us to be the kind of people that you desire. I thank you for the good people that you've called to join with us this morning here and who will watch this online. God, I pray that your Spirit would stir up within them. to, God, make us all a people who are um, walking humbly. I want to give you thanks this morning, God, for those many gifts that you've given to us. We realize that we are blessed, uh, even blessed beyond imagination. We recognize that you have given us far more than we ever deserved. We, We are mere humans, and yet you continue to lavish your love upon us and lavish your grace and lavish your good gifts. So we thank you for that. I want to thank you, God, for the gift of living in this world and in our community. And thank you, God, for the many people that you have raised up to care for us and provide for us. I think particularly of those who are on the front line serving us in many capacities. Thank you for those who are working in the medical field, those who continue to work in law enforcement, those who continue to serve in government. We know they're faced with monumental tasks and challenges, and yet they continue to faithfully serve us day by day. So we thank you, God, for them. And we ask that you'll give them wisdom as they try to discern how to keep moving us forward. I pray special uh, blessing on those who are in education, those who are called to teach and who are making decisions about school in the coming weeks. We pray, God, that you would bless them with wisdom even beyond their capacity to make good choices about how to um, teach our children and keep our children safe. God, we thank you for those who have been touched by your healing hand in the past days and weeks. We know so many who have been sick and are now healed and recovered. We praise you for that. We pray for those, God, who are still sick, who are hurt, who are injured, who are anticipating surgery, who who need a healing touch. You are the great physician. We pray for a healing touch upon them. God, I pray for your healing hand to be upon our entire nation and upon our world. Uh, Our world needs healing, God, healing from this pandemic healing from our pride, healing from prejudice, healing from the brokenness that we see all around. You are a God who wants to restore what's broken. And so, God, we pray that you'll continue the good work that you've started in bringing that. God, I thank you for this congregation, for those who are faithful and generous in supporting us. Thank you for those who've continued to serve and reach out and love our neighbors and our community. God, we, uh, we see your hand at work, and we're grateful. We count it as a privilege, God, to be able to serve. Uh, we're humbled to be able to serve you in so many different ways. So we ask that you'll continue to, to guide us and, and show us the way. And we'll be careful, God, to give you thanks for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.